What's up, guys? Ty from BreakerCulture.com. I hope you're doing well. This is episode 29 of Breaker Culture Weekly, and today we get to take you on a journey deep inside of Panini America with Vice President of Marketing, Tracy Hackler. We cover all kinds of things during our 75-minute conversation from what Tracy's job looks like day in and day out, what are the manufacturing ins and outs that maybe we don't know from a collector standpoint, what is it like working with athletes during signing day, and and all kinds of other fun stuff that I think you're really going to enjoy as a collector and a hobbyist. Um, you'll just appreciate Tracy's approach to the hobby and uh, some of the things that we just don't know about Panini. And uh, I think it's really, I think it's really helpful um, to put put ourselves in their shoes and, and remember what actually goes into making some of the cars that we spend so much time and money on. Um, so so enjoy the conversation with Tracy. Um, and I, I definitely check out their blog if you haven't already. I'm sure you have the Knights Lance. Uh, it's the Panini America blog and they, they roll out all their new products and, and their, uh, open boxes and all that stuff that, uh, they use to solicit and market their products. Uh, Tracy runs that blog. So I think you'll, uh, you'll see his personality come out obviously through the blog and, and you'll see it continue on during our conversation today. So enjoy the show. If you have any feedback, please, as always, let us know at Breaker Culture on Twitter. Uh, at Breaker Culture on Instagram. Go to BreakerCulture.com. Check us out there. Uh, and uh, if you have any if any desire to email us, it's podcast at BreakerCulture.com. And uh, we would love to hear your feedback and chat with you. Enjoy the show. Tracy, man, good morning. How you doing? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. I'm I'm doing really well. Good. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to to chat with us this morning. We're excited to hang out with you. Oh, likewise, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation and thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So you, uh, so, real quick, did you watch the game last night? You see Tom Brady crack into the 500 touchdown. Yeah, club. I did. I, yeah, I did. I was watching that kind of that my uh, ninth group, ninth grader had a football game too. So I was kind of had my phone up looking at what was going on until I could get to a TV and watch it. But yeah, they, I mean, having Julian Edelman back really seemed to kind of open the open the field up a little bit more, if that makes no, sense. And no doubt. I mean, Josh Gordon looked amazing on his touchdown catch, um, and Tom Brady just keeps doing it, man. He, <laughs> I mean, he's absolutely incredible, and maybe still getting better with age. So yeah. it's going to be fun to watch them uh, the rest of the season to see how they kind of rebound from what was a quote unquote shaky start. For sure, uh, he. Uh... He he makes those. He, I think he makes more kind of awful looking throws now than he ever has. He makes like yeah. five of those a game. You're like, oh geez, these guys getting old. <laughs> but is uh, is he the greatest all time? Oh man, I think yeah, I think he has to be. I mean, I'm an, I'm an Elway guy. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm an Elway guy. So yeah, I'm I'm probably a little biased. I think John Elway's the greatest, but that's really kind of from my heart and not my head. But I think <laughs> if you look at Tom Brady's body of work, man, it's. I mean, it's just unparalleled, and and you're never going to be able to take those Super Bowl rings away from him. And, and he's always going to have more than any other quarterback, unless something crazy happens and Patrick Mahomes goes and wins six straight or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he has to be considered the greatest of all time. We have to change the subject. <laughs> this is, this is going to kill me. Between having to talk about Tom Brady. And then Tracy throws in Patrick Mahomes. I'm, I'm not sure you knew that Tyler is from Kansas City. 
Well, so I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh having to listen to a conversation about the Patriots and the Chiefs, and I'm like, uh, what did I get myself into? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I had to watch Patrick Mahomes dissect my Broncos on Monday night. That's true. I mean, we're we're all feeling the pain of that, but. I was going to stay away from that. I was totally staying away from that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tracy, are you from Colorado? Are you from Denver? No, I'm not. I'm actually from right here in Dallas and, uh, you know, grew up a sports fan, grew up a card collector and, and uh, kind of became aware in my sports consciousness. I think I became aware of the Broncos uh, when they played the Cowboys in Super Bowl twelve. Obviously, this is a Cowboys country. And and uh, I think for whatever reason and maybe for any number of reasons, school kids and, and family, um, I developed an affinity for the underdog. I kind of felt bad for the Broncos kind of leading into the game. I just remember all of my classmates and, and, and family members and stuff were, were kind of uh, talking bad about this orange and blue team. So, so I kind of took a, you know, I don't know if it's my contrarian uh, personality or <laughs> something about that, that time turned me into a Bronco fan. They got destroyed in Super Bowl 12, obviously. And, but um, I kept up with them ever, every season since. And then they dra- or traded for John Elway not long after that. And, uh, and I was hooked. So the Broncos in football, what about other sports? Do you have favorite teams as far as baseball and basketball and hockey as well? Yeah, I would say not so much of a hockey guy just because when I was growing up here in Texas, we didn't have hockey. So sure. you know, the, the Dallas Stars kind of came into the Metroplex maybe a little uh, after my sports bandwidth had been had been uh, kind of oh, maxed right. out, and so. Right. But I've always, I've always been a Mavericks fan. I, I kind of got to see them from their first season here in Dallas, um, and that was a lot of fun. I love a lot of those old school Maverick guys: Brad Davis and Jim Spinarkel and Derek Harper, Roe Blackman. And then on the baseball side, I've kind of been a Rangers guy just because they were here, and I was a member of the Dr Pepper Junior Rangers way back in the seventies. And my nice. brother and I would go out to the old Arlington Stadium and and uh, watch games in the summer. So, yeah, but um, football is kind of where my, my heart is on most days. And um, and so, yeah, that's – but, yeah, I do like the other teams. Nice. Interestingly, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, as I've mentioned already, and you'll hear me say a lot, I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And Mark Cuban is from Pittsburgh as well. Yes. And uh, I happen to – be friendly, not close friends, but friendly with a couple of guys that play pickup basketball at the local Jewish community center uh-huh. that grew up with him, went to high school with him. And he comes back to Pittsburgh periodically. And I've had a chance to play pickup ball with him. I don't know, a dozen times or so. Yeah. He's a nice guy. How's his jumper though? I got to be honest with you. He almost never shoots. <laughs> really? He's just, he's just, he, He's a good delegator. He's a delegator. (laughs) That's what good leaders are, right? (laughs) Exactly. He loves, he communicates on D really well. Uh Uh-huh. He's got a handle, not a flashy handle, just a solid handle. Uh He's he's not going to give the ball up. And uh, he, I would say if he's intense, it's on, it's on D. He, he he definitely D's up. He's He's a taller guy than I realized because yeah, he's probably, a big dude man yeah. we were, the first time i was up close to him oddly enough was at a wwe event in dallas and uh 
we actually got lucky and had some pretty decent seats to be kind of close to him. And um, we got to see him kind of signing paperwork and waivers because he was about to get involved in the action in the ring. And, and uh, oh, nice. I remember that. It was, uh, I think Randy Orton kind of fronted him out and threw him on the, on the mat. But um, that's when I first realized, dude, he's, he's a big dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think because you typically see him around the team. <laughs> You yeah. don't realize, you know, he's not six 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 seven, but he's a solid six three. Yeah, six, two sure. minimum. Well, you see that with like a lot of the point guard guys, the smaller guys you see on the court, and they're surrounded by giants on the court and on TV. When you see them, and right. you see them in real life, and you're like, dude, he's oh, big. you're yeah. tall. <laughs> exactly. I gotta say, I gotta stop for a moment and just tie. It, it kind of feels like we made it. I mean, it's been a short period of time, and. Look at us. We got Tracy Hackler from Panini on. This is pretty cool. I just I got to throw that out there, man. This is pretty cool. You're far too kind. The check's in the mail, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 uh, give you an opportunity to do a couple of things, Tracy, both on the professional level and, if you would, the personal level. Give mm-hmm. us the kind of political bullet-pointed introduction of who you are what you do, you know, start with your official title and role at Panini and then talk about, you know, who you are and your family and that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I, my official title is hobby marketing director for Panini America. And so I, uh, my primary function functions on a day-to-day basis. I handle most of our social media stuff, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, and then I do a lot of our uh, kind of events, like on-site activations, uh, player interviews. Um, I get to uh, I do our blog, which is kind of our primary mouthpiece, at least initially, in the first stages of a product's life of showcasing products and what's coming and when they release, kind of what they look like. And then do a lot of direct-to-consumer communication, uh, either through the end consumer, our collectors, or through hobby shops and, and distributors. So it's, <clears throat> I've been at Panini now, I guess for, I think it's almost nine years. I think that's right. And hmm. it's been a blast. I, I've, it's been kind of a dream. My professional career in this industry has been something of a dream job for me. And um, I've never worked harder anywhere that I've ever been than I do at Panini, but man, it's so rewarding. I get to do it with some really great people. Uh, who are like family and um, throughout my journey from being, being an intern, an intern at Beckett publications is what it was called back then. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the summer of 1995 till today. And hopefully for many years in the future, man, I, I, I do. There's a sense of me having to pinch myself on most days when I go into work because I get to do this for a living um, and I try never to take that for granted and, and always want to kind of keep that in perspective. So um, I'm a glass half full guy all the time, um, drives some people crazy. I'm a kind of a non-confrontational guy. Um, I just want folks to, to be happy and, and try to f- facilitate that as much as I can. Love it. Absolutely love that. Now, and that personality definitely comes out in all your interviews and Shani was like, man, I'm telling you, this is one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to. I don't think it's a facade. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking. Um, so, so let me ask you this then. What, uh, what are the two or three things, like your daily task or whatever you do kind of throughout the week, what are the two or three things that are most difficult with your job? 
Oh man, that's a good question. Um, man, there's re- I think there, there are times when, and by the way, Shanee's a great dude. We got the chance to meet, man, what was that Shanee? Like three or four years ago, maybe a little bit longer. The Chicago national four years ago. Yeah. And, and really great dude. I enjoyed spending time with you and chatting with you. And so, so, I appreciate so, that too. so the feeling is mutual. Um, but I mean, there's not a whole lot that's difficult tie about what I do. I mean, because again, I try to keep it in perspective. My wife teaches sure. fifth grade and she deals with kids that some of them have real issues and she's got like r- real world problems because she's molding the future of our, of our community. And, and so, um, so, but the, when we get into our windows where products are coming at us at a, at a breakneck pace from three or four different sports and they're all releasing on the Wednesday or the Friday, you know, juggling those and, and uh, making sure that I give each of the products, the, the coverage and the, the promotion that they deserve becomes a little bit of a juggling act. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's one, one area where I, I, uh, I would sense that it's not difficult, but it's, it's just uh, right. a lot going on. And then I think uh, the, the overall tone, I think sometimes, of, of a lot of folks is just we're just such a cynical society now in mm-hmm. every facet of our life right it's certainly not confined to just collectors um i love collectors i love the hobby but um i i think i wish we could find a way to kind of be be more embracing of of things and be more understanding and i understand it's the now and um and that's not difficult again but it's just an issue where you kind of have to be walk on eggshells sometimes. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And when I, when I asked that question, I thought, well, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to mention something about the stress of releases and maybe travel with your wife. And that, it sounds like you do travel quite a bit. So I'm assuming that kind of factors into yeah. the stress of the job. That's a great point. But yeah, man, I'll oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I'm not a travel guy. I really don't like to travel. And so, you know, I've been lucky enough to be in this industry now professionally for, you know, since 95. And so there's been a lot of trips and then it's fine when you don't have kids, right? You're a young married guy and your your (laughs) wife is doing her thing and you go and it's great. And then you, then you have kids, you realize, ah, I don't know if I want to be traveling that much and you get through it. And it just, what I've tried to do with the trips, a lot of our travel is really condensed from like mid January through through mid-August. It's all kind of jammed in that window, so it seems maybe even like more than it is. And it's, again, I'm I'm not complaining because the travel we're doing is all great, fun stuff. But what traveling does now is it makes you realize how much you love your family and you miss them, and it gives you a chance to miss each other. 100%, yep. Oh, no doubt. So I've come to embrace it. That's great. So you mentioned that you have a ninth grader who's playing football. Yes. Do you have any other kids? I do. I've got a senior uh, in in high school who plays for the, the varsity team at Marcus High School, and then my ninth grader plays on the ninth grade team. And the ninth grader also plays basketball, but um, is really enjoying football this season. So I got two two boys, and you know, obviously the lights of my life and. <clears throat> are way better than I could have ever been in every possible way from academics to athletics to 
just being good dudes. And I credit a lot of that. A lot of the credit obviously goes to their mom, um, and not me. But, but I'll take credit for them. <laughs> nice. I've got two boys as well. I'm 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 a little bit behind you. I, my mine are still pretty young. My oldest yeah. is uh, twelve. Uh, Tyler that's... got us both beat combined. Oh, well, so you have to add all my kids' age ages up to get to where oh. you are. I, I have five with six on the way. Goodness. And, <laughs> yeah. So I, I when you when you talk about your wife and what a what an amazing all star she is, I'm a hundred percent in that same camp where it's like, I, I can complain any, any bit about my job, but it pales in comparison to what uh, your wife well, has to amazing, pour into. Dude. So you have five and a sixth on the way. I do. I do. Two boys, three girls, uh, all under 10. Oh. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, that's impressive. Man. Are you like, I'm assuming you either have a farm that you need help, <laughs> to help or Did you, you start a Did, really wicked intramural basketball team. I don't know which one. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take an intramural basketball team. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if Shani planted that question with you about the farm. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't say a word. I, uh, we, we always joke. We do. Uh, we have we have a few acres, six acres out here, and we have some goats and okay. some chickens. We, I wouldn't go as far as to say we have a farm. But, yeah, we're, we're getting to that point where there's constant jokes about me being a farmer. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. hey, dude. We all can attest to the fact that family makes everything work, man. And so, oh, yeah. uh, so that's great. Yeah. So how involved do you get your kids in your, I mean, being that you work with players and all that stuff, I'm assuming your kids have opportunities to kind of experience it with you. Is there moments where you get them involved or no? Yeah. Kind of rarely like it. Um, they've, they've had the chance to, to do a few things, but uh, not kind of over the top. You know, I never want to be kind of the guy that, yeah that kind of abuses that, that opportunity, but they've, they've like my oldest son, uh, Clayton, his middle name is Elway. And so he, he, <laughs> he got the chance to actually meet John Elway, which was remarkable. Um, wow, that's cool. and, but primarily just kind of living vicariously through me and telling stories. And they always want to know, Hey dad, what, what are these guys like? What's he like? What's he like? What's he like? And so the, the, the ability to be able to, relate those stories and, and give them kind of uh, the, these players kind of behind the scenes, how they act, what their personalities are. That's probably the extent of it. But when, when there are opportunities where it's not, I'm not abusing the situation or it's kind of an open, open opportunity. I'll try to get them involved, but man, you guys know, or you will know soon when your kids get to be about like 13 like man, they're checking out and they're they're doing their own thing, which is great. Um, and so it's a, and I also think when they tend to not take it for granted, but 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 I've been doing this ever since they were born, so they kind of just know it's a job, and maybe sometimes they take it for granted what dad does, and you know I think they'll appreciate it as they get into their their careers that and he did have a really good job and. <laughs> So do the kids get involved in collecting at all? Are they interested in the hobby? <clears throat> Man, I've, I've failed. I've been I've been bad about getting them in. I've tried to get them in. And they, they love cards and they love the products. And they obviously have their favorite players and teams. But I think they're not like hardcore collectors like I was at their age or like you guys probably were. Um, 
and I think it's just because it's a different time. And um, I think it, it does somewhat go back to that, not taking what I do for granted, but the, they know that dad's in the hobby and they, they just kind of don't look, look at it as maybe that same magical playground that we did when, when we were uh, right. growing up. And, you know, I look at, the, they're getting all their news and their player information literally every day, multiple times a day mm-hmm. from Instagram and Twitter. And they come and say, hey, did you see this play? Or did you hear about Tom Brady? Or And it's all stuff that, that either they've learned directly from the player through his Instagram feed or that ESPN and everybody's talking about and tweeting highlights out about on Twitter. And um, back then for us, we learned everything about our favorite players from the backs of trading cards. That's right. And so I think that's kind of the separation of that and this, but they do love cards. They have a real appreciation for photography and technology and autographs and memorabilia, but not in the same way that, that we did and that I probably still do. I imagine if I lived in a home where packs of impeccable were like coasters, <laughs> I probably would take it for granted too. <laughs> uh, yeah, we man, there's not a lot. Like I, I've been able to kind of keep most of my cards from my childhood through. Um, oh, that's great. Recent years, and I keep them all in my in a closet in one of our <clears throat> in one of our rooms and. But yeah, there's uh, no coasters in any of. This that's a good segue to talk a little bit about some real hobby related questions that we have for you. Okay. I kind of alluded to a question about you know the the difficulties of the job. Um, to speak more specifically about product, is is there a product or a, a type of product that is more difficult for you to market than others? And then the opposite of that question is obviously the ones that are, are potentially easier as well. That's a great question. I, you know, I think when it comes to marketing, just like it comes to most of our products, I mean, there's two distinctly different channels, right? There's a hobby channel and there's a retail channel. I think, I think marketing um, a mass retail product is, can be a little more challenging because I think, most people that, that are going into hobby shops or going through group break sites, they, they know what the product is and, and they know what improvements have been made. And they know, in many cases, they know the product just as well as the guys making it because they're, they're on group breaks every year and multiple times of uh, product. So I think um, marketing to those folks is a little bit easier because of the the knowledge base is so much larger. Mar- uh, the mass retail product is about trying to get a few nuggets out of what trading cards are today. <clears throat> and we do that through a number of ways, either through, uh, we have a pretty uh, cool Twitter NFL, Twitter pre-roll campaign we're doing right now where we're kind of exposing uh, products to more of a mainstream audience, which is uh nice and you know i think we do so many things through through retailers 
whether it's exclusive parallels, to just try to give a hook to the retail buyer of, hey, you can only get these purple flashy ones at Target or at Walmart. And um, I think they each kind of provide their own challenges because on the on the hobby side, I think you have to be a little bit more a higher level um, and more more detailed and forthcoming with product specifics because it's a more demanding uh, audience on that side. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So on the, speaking of retail, Ty and I have been talking a lot about retail versus hobby and it's our impression that there seems to be a little bit more available in retail these days Um, and not just more products, but within the products a bit more, of a chase, if you will, in terms of content. Is that a true observation or is that just Ty and I trying to convince ourselves that retail is good? No, no, no. I think that's accurate. I think uh, the, the retail buyer, meaning the retail distributor, um, has become a little bit more demanding and, and, and rightfully so, right? Because they want to give uh, – look, we benefit, the entire hobby benefits – if products are strong at retail and products are strong at hobby because they inevitably are going to cross over and hobby only folks are going to go into retail. We've seen it countless times with hot products um, where it's introduced in the hobby and then there's a version of it at retail and it all dries up and that's good for all of us. So I think you are seeing, at least on our side, I think you're seeing the, the Panini, Panini America product guys, uh, really bulking up retail and giving uh, retail more, more meat, if you will. And, and, and then the, the real onus though is communicating what those, what those new bells and whistles might be on the retail side to the retail distributor and ultimately the retail consumer of, because that's a huge hook for whether it's a, a retail wide exclusive product or insert or a target exclusive and a Walmart exclusive. Yeah. The, the ability to communicate that to the end consumer that you're only going to get this cool parallel at Walmart or at Target is, I think that's where the marketing message uh, comes back in. And mm. but I think you're absolutely right. I think retail is being bulked up and being given more of an opportunity to flourish. So that that's an interesting point because I feel like when you when you get uh, you get social media involved and you get forums involved and you have people posting stuff about oh my gosh I went to you know Target or whatever and I pulled this hit and the re- immediate response is wait that that came out of retail like no no way Panini put that in a retail box you know that's yeah. the um, so what what kind of take us behind the scenes in a little bit I mean what what is the conversation with with your leadership team of or, or is there a conversation about this of maybe we shouldn't put these you know, super short printed cards inside of retail, uh, or maybe we should plug them in the retail. Or is there some sort of strategy that goes into that? No, so- I think <clears throat> I think there's definitely a strategy. I'm not always privy to the kind of the the the, the creation of a of a product. Those kind of huge meetings where you've got product development, sales, uh, creative, uh, production, and pre press. Everybody kind of coming together in the it, we call them kickoff meetings, and mm-hmm. uh, but but I do know that it is important, right? I mean, we it's important to 
to give each channel value. And that's ultimately what, what our jobs are as product developers is to create and deliver value regardless of the price point. So if it's a $1,500 flawless hobby only briefcase, it needs to deliver the, a certain value. Mm-hmm. If it's a 99 pack product at Walmart, people need to feel like they're getting value out of it. So I think that's kind of the guide of, of creating any product. And um, I think it's really worked um, on both sides, but I think it is a point. I don't think they, they purposefully say this insert is not going, or this one of one insert or subset or parallel is not going in retail. I think it's uh, kind of random on in many cases. And you want, you want, cool cards being pulled from any SKU, right? Whether it's retail or hobby. Um, because I think, again, it feeds that that desire, that need to, to maybe go check out what's happening at retail and vice versa. When, when retail, traditional retail only consumers see what's going on at the hobby, we want, we hope they wander into a card shop and find out what it's all about. And I think that happens on both sides. And I think that's, right why you're seeing successes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That, that's a good point. So, so take us on the kind of on the manufacturing side and, and this gets lost in everything that we talk about in the hobby in terms of just the way cards are manufactured. We forget about the complexities with that. What, what are some of the more difficult cards for Panini to manufacture? <clears throat> well, I think I always uh, say this and I was at Beckett for four or five years to start my career. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember us being kind of like anybody right in the quote unquote media would, we were always kind of real hypercritical of the mistakes, right? The, the misspellings or the wrong stats. And we're like, man, how does that happen? And then I went to work at Donruss for, for four years. And it took me all of about two days on the job to see that it's a minor miracle that anything gets done. Because it's there's so many levels of it, and there's a there's a some of the guys on our product development team have this sign up in their cubes, and it just says uh, cards are hard, <laughs> and they can be right. They can be hard to develop. And again, we're talking about first world problems because there's real problems in the world. But right. but, uh, but there there are so many levels uh, internally, and then. There are levels of approval externally through our league partners and player partners, and that stuff all has to come together um, on a pretty compressed timeline. And I and that's just kind of the 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 skeleton or the the mainframe of the of a product. And then you get into actually producing and creating them um, through photography and design and pre-press, and then actually printing and cutting and that. For an example, like people might not know, and I've done, uh, I've tried to do a good job of bringing uh, the production uh, cycle to life through a series of YouTube videos on our YouTube channel. I would encourage mm-hmm. anybody listening. Yeah. To that they're good. They're, they're very they're good. Fascinating. And I could go watch cards being made literally every day of my life because it's so, <laughs> it's so cool. But as an example, like every memorabilia card, whether it's the, the single white swatch that nobody, everybody ridicules to the 12 color eight break <laughs> prime thing, every 
Billiard card we make is handmade. The the memorabilia swatch is placed by a human thumb into the, into oh, wow. the window, and <clears throat> so it's just a uh, it is a complex process, and we we're our, <clears throat> we're victims of our own results because we we keep pushing the envelope mm-hmm. higher and higher. And I love it. I love the creativity and the innovation that's that we introduce and that we uh, keep generating from product to product, but it's, it becomes more complex, whether that's embedding diamonds in cards or creating booklets with windows and uh, swatches and autographs. And um, it is a a really complex process. And I think it's a, every product we make is something of a minor miracle. So you just talked about the, you, you kind of alluded to pushing the envelope. All I think you meant in terms of innovation, but yeah. there is also that element of pushing the envelope in terms of price. And I'm just interested personally because I am very committed to this hobby. At the same time, I'm somebody who has kind of alluded to the fact through this podcast that I'm also very committed to my family, and that means keeping an eye on the budget. Yep. Um, to what extent is the price something that you, you as Tracy, but also you as Panini feel as if um, you, you kind of have a, maybe a bit of a civic responsibility to maybe keep that in check or not at all. And we'll keep pushing the price until people finally stop paying for it. <clears throat> um, again, that's another great question. Um, you know, I think when I look at, at the price of products, like I'm with you, right? Like if I came home and told my wife that I just spent $1,500 on a briefcase of trading cards, she would, I would be out in the front yard with all my stuff. (laughs) Um, Exactly. So, so I don't do that, right? That's not for me. It's one of the most beautiful products that we make and they're there and it's, and it appeals to a certain audience, right? And I think that's what we try to keep in mind. Um, a lot of attention, at least in the kind of the the hobby, gets paid toward a product like Flawless or a product like Eminence when we do that product. Um, and rightfully so, because there's some really beautiful cards that are sure. are just museum pieces. But what what might get lost in that focus is that we also have products ranging from two ninety nine a pack, one ninety nine a pack to to a hundred dollars a box too, and there's a lot of products in that range. So, I think what our what what our product development teams and sales teams and marketing teams uh, try to keep in mind is that we we have a product really for any collecting taste, whether that's if that's a guy like me who's going to buy a box of Prism, I can do Prism. It's cool. I do do Prism. Yeah. Because um, I can afford it, and, it, and it's on my budget. I like to watch Flawless. <laughs> I love to go to the place <laughs> they're pulling, and 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 I can tell you that when a product releases, not to uh, go off on a rabbit trail real quick, but when a product releases, you've got probably half of our company streaming breaks all day long to see what's being pulled, see what's being said. It's such a great. Oh, product. really? That's cool. It's such That's a very great cool. Product. Yeah. It goes on with every new product release. It's amazing to watch. Um, 
literally, I'm talking about half our company because it's a great uh, hub for criticism. Like, what do people like him? What do they not like him? What do we need to switch next year? Um, it's real-time feedback that, that that is just invaluable. But um, hmm. so anyway, back to your question, Sydney. I, I, I mean, I get what what where you're coming from on flawless or eminence or national treasures. If that's too much, I completely get it. We completely get it as a company, and that that product's probably not not it's not intended for every consumer. Um, but we have a lot of products on the other end of that spectrum too that that could appeal to varying collecting tastes, not just budgetarily, but but um, aesthetically. What do you look for? What do you want in your product? Oh, yeah. um, so I think we do a good job of that. And is it the, largely because of the breaking community? A lot of our higher-end products are also some of our most popular products. Interesting. Gosh, well, I, I love the fact that you have so many people watching breaks. <laughs> that just, that's, that's just awesome. very cool. What uh, – I'm curious about scale. What to, how many how many Panini employees are there? Are we talking hundreds? That's a good question. Uh, Panini America, I'm going to say, and I don't know this, so if I'm wrong, I apologize to all my human resources folks back at Panini America and my boss. But I think it's in the, I want to say like the 130 range. Oh, nice. Okay. So you're talking um, 60, 70 people watching breaks. That's, uh, that's fun. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's such a uh, a real uh, phenomenon, right? It's, it's a real part of the job. And, yeah. And then after they watch a day full of breaks on release day, they're they're going onto the forums and message boards and reading what people are saying because I think a lot of times when people either contact us directly through Twitter or through through email, I think um, because we might not necessarily have time to respond to everyone. Mm -hmm. I think there could be a sense that we're not listening, that that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, our our teams are are constantly tuned into what people are saying, what people want, what what we could do better, um, and it's cool to watch the 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 evolution of new release day and the guys who spent a lot of their blood, sweat, and tears making the product that's being broken to watch them watch that get feedback. And then input that feedback into next year's product is really cool to watch, hmm. and, and that happens probably more than it doesn't. That's that's great. Yeah, that's something. That, again, one of those things that's lost in all the unfortunate negativity in the hobby <laughs> is what, what's really happening. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I can tell you that um, the guys who make the products and uh, that they, it's like their f football game, right? Like the NFL teams. They work everything for Sunday, and then mm -hmm. they see how they did that week. They see how the preparation was. They see if they were prepared. They see if they, they had their A game that day, and if they don't, they go back. I can tell you our product development guys live and die with each of their products that they make, and man, if it gets ripped or or it's a bad collation or whatever, they take it hard, and and when it's when it's well-received and it's a cool product, they, they act like they just won the week, and they did, and, and they, they take those ups and downs, and they try to uh, build those into the future releases. That's very cool. Very cool. Uh, cool. Let's take a quick break and we'll yeah. come back. And I have some, we have some questions that breakers have asked us to ask you. So I think it'd be good to get okay. your feedback. Is that cool? Yeah, for sure. Cool. 
Well, I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Tracy so far. I know we are. Um, but look, here's the deal. If, you, if you're a fan of coffee, raise your hand. Um, actually, don't raise your hand if you're driving. Uh, but if you did raise your hand or if you're just a fan of coffee, you need to listen to this. You need to go check out dubscoffee.com. That's D-U-B-B-S coffee.com. Uh, I don't know if you're used to buying coffee online or if you walk into stores and you get coffee and, and you, you realize that the, you know, the roasted date on the coffee bag was like two months before you actually purchased it. Um, that's no good. That's no good, and coffee is is unbelievable when it's a good bean and it's roasted fresh for you, and that's what we do at Dubs Coffee. About three years ago, I became a co-owner in DubsCoffee.com. I learned the ins and outs of roasting and everything you can know about coffee. I spent tons of time learning and uh, have poured myself into Dubs Coffee, and, and I love what we're able to do with providing folks the freshest coffee possible. I mean, the second you open up your box from the post office, it arrives in your mailbox, you're going to be blown away with how unbelievably fresh it smells. It'll take you back. It will absolutely take you back. You'll just be so excited about trying that coffee. And the best part is it's natural coffee. It's not flavored with a bunch of crap that you'll find with some coffee providers these days. It is perfect, perfectly roasted, natural, 100% fresh. I cannot recommend it enough. And the best part is if you go to dubscoffee.com right now and you use coupon code BREAKYOURCULTURE, you're going to get 50% off your first order of two bags or more. The bags are 12 bucks. You're going to get a bag for six bucks. You cannot get that anywhere else and you will be absolutely blown away. I'm going to keep saying that with how fresh and tasty that coffee is. And when you get it for six bucks, you can't lose. So go check it out, dubscoffee.com. Back to the show. back. Uh, okay. So let's dig in some questions that we've kind of fielded from the audience a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of fly through these and get your, your, uh, stream of consciousness as Shani always says responses, but so <laughs> what athletes would you say are the, the most enjoyable to work with? Oh man, that is a, that's a really good question. We more, there, there are way more good players who are great to work with than there are guys who aren't and, and i mean look at anybody that's it's playing and we've probably either interacted with them at a rookie photo shoot or mm-hmm. uh, an all-star game or what have you and they're all just so they're they're like us right we're, we're we have different personalities and, and outlooks and backgrounds but at the end of the day i think we're if you meet any one of us ty or shani or me or anybody we're, we're, we're who we are. Right. So yep. we can't change that. Uh, and I just think about guys who pop up. Tony Michelle is a really quiet guy. Uh, <laughs> he's not, he's not outgoing. Um, he's quiet on the field too. Not yeah. true. Not true. <laughs> Did he have a good game last night? Last two games he exploded. Yeah. And I just bring him up because he's, he's rolling right now. Baker Mayfield is a cool dude. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is a great dude. We've worked with him quite a few times. N- nicest kid you could imagine. And and so I think kind of get, just getting to know the players on a little bit of a deeper level because we're around them and we do business with them. Yeah. Um, that's just fun. And so I wouldn't say I would be I would be 
not doing all of them justice if I picked a handful because they're all cold to work. Look, man, you got some jerks. I'm not going to lie to you. There are some guys who just are, are over it. They don't want to be there. They don't, And that's just who they are, right? And I'm sure they're like that with their teammates and their trainers and their the the guy at McDonald's. That's just who they are. But way more great guys and guys who get it. And I think that's one of the things I really like about kind of bringing some of the breakers to our events is that we get the players on the breaks with <clears throat> the breakers and the audience gets to see these guys as more than just a guy on a trading card. They get to know their backgrounds and personalities. And, and that I really love that aspect of our rookie events and getting the players on with the breakers. So the, the a larger group of collectors can be exposed to these guys. Is there a story that sticks out in your mind as either it doesn't have to necessarily be a funny story. That's the question that I think a lot of people might want to ask. What's the funniest story? or but it, Just a great experience that you had that sticks out as the, this, the story you would probably tell the most. Man, that is another great question. Um, you know, I think I look at, and it's a more recent example, but when we do the rookie, NFL PA rookie premiere, you know, and the, the NFL guys – rookies come in and that's where they get a lot of their signing for the year knocked out for Panini America. And it can be a grind, but I remember a few years ago, Alvin Kamara was one of the first guys to show up and he, he put his headphones on and he did not leave until he was done. <laughs> he, he was committed to it. He knew that when he was through with that, those cards and those autographs, he could take, kind of enjoy himself and he was committed and it, and it was, it was hours and hours and hours, but he stayed there consistent signature, had his headphones on, just chilling and knocking it out. And I think we're starting to see more of those, those examples and just watching the guys interact with each other because they all have histories together. They all prepared for the combine together or the draft together, whatever their sport they're doing. Um, they're all kind of buddies and to watch them be 21, 22, 23, three year old buddies having fun, um, is a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, the, the ribbing that they do, the good nature jabbing that they do. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And, and I'm trying to think of, a any crazy stories that I think you have too many. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need to I need to think about I need to kind of like somehow get them all kind of down on paper and think about them but this is where journaling comes in hand you got to start oh, writing yeah. some of that stuff down if, no doubt if only Shani had a really popular blog that he could write this out in <laughs> <laughs> I mean if, if only Tracy if only if only you Ooh. could do that some blog oh. you should call it Knight's Lance I think you're on that's right. So, hey, when a player comes in, do they ask for a couple of the autograph cards themselves? Or do you just give them a couple to say, hey, look, this is for your own collection? Well, a lot of times they do. Uh -huh. And we we try to take care of them um, with the non-autograph cards um, because we inevitably have to tell them we need that. 
because that's going in a product and a collector is going to get that. And they obviously, the ones that that resonate with them the most are the one-on-ones with the, the, <laughs> the cool patches. And we have to be the bad guy and say, look, man, we appreciate your interest in this and we understand, but we, we have to put that in a product. And, and we, we work with a lot of the, a lot of the guys after the fact and get them cards and uh, versions of their cards. Um, and more and more, I, I love one of the greatest benefits of social media as a trading card marketing guy is to watch the players when they get a shipment of cards and they should share with their audience. Hey, just got a new Panini America shipment signing, whatever. When that's done organically and we don't have to kind of push them to do it. It's awesome. That is, that's, that's unbelievable marketing right there. You can't a lot pay of for that. Too. A lot of moms too will hit us up and say, Hey, I need some cards of my son or, or whatever. And that's fun. Um, because we always want to take care of mom, man. That's right. <laughs> so I want to take us back a little bit in the conversation because I think there's a couple of questions that we have to ask that people are going to be really interested in relative to breaking. You brought up the fact that a lot of folks are watching breaks in the office after a product releases. Um, and, and we're breaker culture, obviously. So there are some really important questions about breaking that I think on, on a higher level uh, we've got to discuss. And the, the first and most obvious is, is it here to stay? Do you see it changing dramatically or anything like that? Is there a trend that you see coming? That's a tough open question, but I think you kind of get where I'm coming from. Yeah. Is there a State of the Union kind of statement? That, that kind of is on your mind relative to the breaking aspect of the hobby? I wouldn't say there's a state of the union statement, but obviously most people know we were early embracers of the breaker uh, phenomenon way back when um, we saw it then and still see it now as a, a kind of a vibrant new uh, segment of our business. Um, it's a, it's enabled a lot of people to get involved products that maybe wouldn't otherwise have had that chance to do it and you know i think we we obviously see the breaking community as a, a, a big part of our business it's one one big part uh we have other big parts whether it's the hobby channel or the retail channel and at some point ultimately the, the direct channel but uh we we have a great relationship with top breakers and uh and have started we were one of the first if not the first major manufacturer to kind of recognize this was uh here and it, and it was and in the years since i think we've all discovered that it's here to stay and when i said a lot of our folks are watching breaks a lot of our folks are also <laughs> buying spots in those breaks as well so um it's just a different when it first was introduced it was a such a new kind of buzzing way to do things and i think as long as um, it's the right breakers with uh, the right mindsets the right business practices um, ethical integrity we're going to work with them and and try to get them involved with what we're doing just like we try to get involved uh, hobby shops and retail retail outlets when we do activations with them but it's it's certainly a big part of what we do 
you answered a, quite a few of the questions that I had in in that particular answer. So I appreciate that. Um, so I've had a number of conversations with breakers over the past several years that I've been back into the hobby and at, at a higher level, um, more interested in, in the inner workings of the hobby. And a, a number of folks have tossed around the, the idea and conversation that it would be great. And I know the conversation has existed at a higher level between breakers and manufacturers. I'm, I'm sure you've been involved in most of those conversations. Do you feel as if Panini has gone ahead and made some decisions about product development with breaking in mind? That's another good question. Um, you know, I know I've seen that talk, right? I've seen that <clears throat> speculation certainly on on social media. And I, 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 I honestly, I don't know that. But I, um, I think we would take and we do take criticism. We talked about it earlier. We we take criticism from, uh, and I'm talking about good constructive criticism. We sure we take that from the hobby sector. We take that from the retail sector. We we obviously would take that from the breaker sector as well. And so I think uh, we make product decisions based on breaker decisions, probably with the same amount of respect that we make product decisions based on feedback from hobby shop owners. Um, and hobby distributors and retail buyers and retail distributors, if that makes sense. I, I know yeah. that's a political answer to, to to your question, but you know, I think I think we have to focus on on all the channels, right? We and so I think we would be missing an, uh, we, we would be narrowing our vision too much or having blinders on if we just made decisions because one segment wanted us to make decisions. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Sorry, Ty. Uh, it's interesting. I, I can't disagree with you in that you have to consider all channels. But do, you know, I, from my perspective, I'll speak not as an interviewer now, but you know, as someone that has an opinion. Is it necessarily the case that you have to consider all of those things for each and every product, or could you consider maybe? specific aspects and specific channels within the hobby at large for specific products and make it clear to the consumer that, yeah, for this product, we really had breaking in mind. And for this product, we really had retail in mind. Yeah. Rather no, than well, trying to be everything to everybody every time. Yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're 100% correct. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, and I think that is more like what we do and we, I think most people would agree that that we have enough product product uh, on our roster and enough uh, diversity among those products that you can be you don't have to be all things to all collectors all the time. There, there, and I think short of us uh, pronouncing that from the mountaintop, I think the the intended audiences probably know kind of. How that product is skewed, and, and um, if it's a breaking product, I think it probably speaks for itself. I think we all—all all of us have alluded to the notion that in this hobby there can be a bit of negativity, <laughs> and I find it, you know, an off-putting thing and an unfortunate reality. But the potential that there is a consumer out there that 
assumes the hobby should be thinking of him for every single release. And that to speak to maybe a, a level that is more of a least common denominator mm-hmm. and be even more clear might actually handle up front yeah. some of those misconceptions and some of that negativity that in, that follows. Sure. Um, just an idea. I mean, because I think those of us that are more glass half full like you are, Tracy, and you are the epitome of that, and that's something I appreciate about you. But I think that's 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 one of the problems. Not that I think it's your responsibility to handle the negativity out there, and there's a certain amount of it that will never be handled because that's just who those people are. But yeah. um, I, you know, I, I do think that there's potentially a least common denominator out there that that could be achieved, if you will, just in terms of education. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I can't disagree with that, and it is it is partly my responsibility to handle the negative negativity and i look man tra- the more transparency is always better than, than not enough transparency i i get what you're saying and and uh one of the things i love about panini america love about our people is that um we we listen to this kind of feedback and we we act on it more than we don't and i you know, i think um i think we can continue to improve in in ways and i and this could be one that, that we take in one way. So, yeah. yeah, and and ultimately, what I'm trying to say is, and I'm not even I'm not even admonishing you guys or pointing the finger at you guys for anything. I'm I'm making the point that I'd love to see more of this negativity just go away. Yeah, I can't stand most of it because most yeah. of it is really just negative people being negative for the sake of negativity, and it's just ridiculous. So I'd like a situation where they just have less to chew on. Yeah. You know? No, no, I get it. I get it completely. And um, it's a great point because the, a lot of people, redemptions suck. You know, that we, we hate redemptions as much, if not more so, than the collectors pulling them. Um, but they're, they're part of what we do. And so, you know, we try to be as upfront with communication on who's who's returned stuff this week and what's being fulfilled this week from customer service and right. i think something like that for <clears throat> that type of communication on a product type right what, what's your exactly. suggestion i think that would be i think that could be beneficial yeah Absolutely. by the way for anyone listening i don't like redemptions but I don't even I don't think they're the worst thing. Now, if obviously you have a situation like a Julio Jones who ends up not signing anything for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. But I think that's the rare exception. Yeah, and I think it's far more common that guys, maybe it does take a little too long for certain people, but they ultimately do get redeemed. My contention is that there are situations where redemptions are great. And that is when you have an amazing card that potentially has very high value mm-hmm. wouldn't you want it encased and sent to you by the manufacturer directly rather than having a chance of getting all dinged up i know that's a common well, thing that's been talked about but yeah that's me yeah and it's you know it's so funny when you, like we pride ourselves on 
on not giving up, right? So we didn't want to give up on Julio Jones because we just we're not going to admit defeat. We gave people obviously the option if you're tired of waiting, we can swap it out for something. But it was so funny, and maybe not in a humorous way, but when we finally got Julio, man, we were ecstatic, and and there were people who had opted to trade out weeks before, oh. before, oh. and then would claim that we knew we were going to get him, and oh. got with me, and we're like, so anyway, uh, yeah, man, look, they're 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 here to stay for the foreseeable future, and it's not. It's not awesome, but it is a way for us to. A lot of times, we just the cards aren't back, the autographs aren't back, and we're going to work steadfastly, diligently <clears throat> to get those cards in. It just might not be on any time frame that we want. Right. Interesting. Uh, so, so, question about releases, and I think group breaking in a certain sense has kind of helped probably uh just the kind of the immediate reaction immediate feedback that you maybe didn't get in the past so i think that's a great thing but do you think group breaking has really pressed panini forward in terms of the number of releases you put out each year in terms of the overall volume overall over overall volume of just the distinct unique releases because i feel like i don't have the stats to point to it but i feel like each year there's a good percentage more of new releases maybe that you're trying out or you're bringing back from the dead type thing. You think group breaking has a lot to do with that or is it just a factor of the marketplace in general? Well, I think it's primarily the marketplace in general. I think, you know, when, when we completely revamp products or take one off and put a new one on, I think it's because that's kind of what the market indicated they wanted or, or yep. what was needed. You know, I think our, our product, development teams we're, we're real big on brand equity and, and brand loyalty and, and so we some of our flagship products we're, we we're loyal to those um, but I think with having a, a such a variety of products it gives us a chance to to explore and experiment a little bit with some new concepts or new ideas and right you know I love XR I still don't know what XR means but I love the product <laughs> Um, I love the way it looks, and I think that's an example where we we put a lot of work into it, but but it was new, had no history, um, and it worked really well. And, yep. and so, so I think obviously feedback from breakers it influences those decisions, but not exclusively that input. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And and what prompted that question is I always ask the question with breakers when we interview them is, would you prefer more products every year or would you prefer the manufacturer to kind of expand the print run of the kind of the flagship products? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like overwhelmingly the response is mm -hmm. give us new products because we could check out really quickly if they're good for the marketplace and good for our customers. We yeah. don't, we don't want to ruin and saturate really good products. So give us yeah, a new yeah, one. Yeah. That's, you know, I think that's a kind of a philosophical question too, because you know we we hear obviously all kinds of feedback, and one of the things we hear sometimes you make too many products, and we're like, well, there are actually fewer products on the market now than there were 10, 15 years ago. Really? Okay, that's yeah. that's an interesting stat. Yeah, overall products. I had our buddies at Beckett 
uh, media, dude, you, just some re real quick research. And, mm -hmm. and the, the number of products, um, primarily in basketball and football, in kind of mainstream releases, right? So mainstream releases, as well as promotional sets, uh, team giveaways, stuff like that. In 95, there were 177 of those in football. Um, and it, in 2017, there were 68. Wow. And then in basketball, in 95, it's mainstream base sets, team sets, and giveaways, in, in arena promotions, 81 sets in 95. Um, 2017, there were 53. So, so the difference, obviously, is hmm. only one manufacturer is producing them. Right. Right. It was the back then when, when there were a lot more. So so uh, there aren't more products, but there may be more variety, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a different marketplace now, too. I mean, the way people consume trading cards is different as well. So it's not um, – there's still some traditionalists, and there always will be, and that's where you get Donruss or Hoops. Um, yep. But there's also people who love – short run, uh, flashy, uh, smaller set size, more hits. And those are available as well. Perfect. Yeah. That, that's an interesting stat. I, I was trying to, as you're talking, I was trying to do my own research, but not enough time to do that. So I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll take it as just truth. Um, so a question I have to ask, and it's become a relevant question over the last few weeks. And, um, I'm just really curious your opinion. What goes into checklist release dates? Uh, you know, obviously with breakers driving a lot of these products, checklists coming out the day of or the day before puts them in kind of an awkward spot. What, to, what are we not knowing about checklist release that will, that will help put some folks minds at ease? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a great question, Ty. And that's a question we've been tackling for what seems like an eternity. Uh, for, for, the checklist production release, um, each product checklist is tied obviously to the team that, that created that product. Whether we have multiple teams on each sport who are in charge of basketball or football, um, and the the kind of SOP internally, for lack of a better phrase, for checklists is the day the product releases, the checklist goes up online. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know why that is. Um, I think in in another time, in a previous part in our industry's history, that was probably done to prevent a competitor from seeing your checklist if you had uh, some secrets on there, some guys that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. um, that could be some of the reason. Sometimes we get checklists a few days early and that's awesome. But, uh, for any number of reasons, it's just, uh, uh, what we do to, and I don't know if it's kind of, uh, going back after the product is printed and cross checking and make sure the checklist matches what was actually done. I think that's part of it. You know, we talked about the complexities of the, of the production process. I think that that is a consideration. I think our guys want to make sure that what they put out as a 
a official completed checklist matches up with what was actually printed. Mm -hmm. If they had to zero out some cards because a player didn't return them or whatever, I think they want to be able to, to be as accurate as possible. So, okay. I think there's a number of factors involved. We, we, we obviously, uh, understand the the need and importance of checklists it might be one of the first things most of our web visitors uh search for mm-hmm. our website sure uh, and we just have to continue to, to to hammer that point home internally um and and make sure we try to get better at more expeditious with how we how we release <laughs> now that makes sense i and i get it i know you're probably getting some of the pressure from your media outlets and all that. And I, I can tell you with certainty on our end, we always get asked that question. So it sounds like you're trying to work on it. And, and, and you know, the assumption always is, well, if it's not, if the checklist isn't out until release day, surely that means the checklist isn't that good. You know, so they must be hiding that they didn't get a good auto in there or a good player to. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's like the, it's like the movie review that doesn't. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Nope. Critics didn't get to see it early, so that's a bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> so the only the only comment I want to add about the conversation regarding checklists is this: it, it is what it is, and it's somewhat out of our control as the consumers. I would just like to say to the breakers out there, I fully understand why you pre-sell teams, and you should continue to do so. It's a good model. If you pre-sell teams, and a checklist ends up coming out that makes it clear that either a team has nothing or far less than you expected when you originally priced that team, do the right thing. <laughs> Just do the right thing. I and, think everyone knows what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's one, we, we are, our customer service, I think is the best in the industry. Um, and I think we, we continue to, to work with, the end consumer, not just the breaker, but the end consumer. Look, man, if you get if you get hosed on something, and it's our fault, we we want to do right by you. So yeah, you know, just know that. I I have had that experience, quite frankly, more than once, and and it is really uh, it's great customer service. And I'm and I'm appealing out to the breakers out there, saying, you know, it's not yeah. hard for you to provide the same kind of customer service. It's pretty easy, actually. And I'm not asking you to, you know, necessarily always refund, but you know, there's a way to make it right. For sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're running out of time, and we we always wrap things up with something we call rapid fire, Tracy. Okay. Where right. I, I got some. Uh, the, again, these are questions you haven't seen. I just we just kind of want your whatever comes to mind answer. Okay. So you cool is with that? Is it one word answers or just one questions? one word? You can give me a sentence if you want to give some defense around it. It's all good. Uh, oh, we're gonna okay. f- I have about ten of them that are gonna be totally random, okay. and we're gonna get to know Tracy Hacklett really well. Uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, favorite product each year? Playbook. Okay. Uh, you pick an NBA player right now to build a franchise around. Which NBA player is it? I'm gonna say. Kyrie Irving. Cool. Good answer. Your favorite spot to go on a date with your wife? Han Sushi. Sushi in Texas. Uh, <laughs> favorite Disney movie? 
does uh, Invincible count? Was that a Disney movie? Oh yeah, was that uh, is that I'm Mark sure Wahlberg? Was. was that Wahlberg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a Disney movie. Heck Invincible, yeah. great movie, beautiful. <laughs> uh, digital digital cards. Are you a believer? Yes. Okay. Favorite Bronco player of all time? I think you answered this already, but I'll ask it. I gotta give you. I gotta give you a couple because I did name my oldest son after John Elway. He's, <laughs> he's number one A. I still can't believe my wife let us do that, but uh, he's one A. Uh, Vance Johnson is one B, and Ed McCaffrey's one C. Okay. McCaffrey, nice. such a good one. Uh, you have to manufacture one product the rest of your career. What is it? Contenders. Okay. Uh, what TV personality would you want to open cards with for a day? Movies, TV, doesn't matter. Entertainment. Will Ferrell. Nice. You're on, you're on a road trip with the family. You're walking into a gas station. What snack do you go to and grab first? Probably some bad protein bar. Nature Valley protein bar. <laughs> uh, nine grams of protein. There you go. Nice. That extra gram is going to be important. Uh, it's going to be important for the next two questions. Uh, who's the most inspiring person in the world to you? That's a good one. Um, boy. I mean, the easy answer is my wife. Um, the tougher answer is probably my kids, too, because they, they all three inspire me to, to be better than I should be. So I would say it's a three-way tie. All right. Nice. Favorite, favorite book you've read in the last few years? I just got it. It's called Football for a Buck. Jeff Perlman's book on the USFL. I'm not through it completely yet, but I love it so far. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Football for a buck. There's a new one. I haven't yeah. even heard of it. Beautiful. It's awesome. cool. if, you know, if you know anything about the USFL or its history or its kind of quick uh, yeah. existence, it's really good. Awesome. And last question for you. What song do you pick as your walkout song as you're going up to bat as a major league player? What's your song? Probably Till I Collapse by Eminem. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's, my favorite, he's my favorite like rapper, so nice. Uh, and that song gets me every time. So versatile. Awesome. Such a versatile guy, Tracy. <laughs> I love it. Hey man, we, we appreciate it. We really do. Uh looking thank forward you to so much, Tracy. I know, thank you guys, man. This is a lot of fun and, and uh look forward to maybe doing it again sometime and, and uh thank you for what y'all do and thank your listeners for what they do and let's uh hug each other and have some fun. That's right. <laughs> exactly. All right, enjoy your weekend. Y'all too, man. Be good. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks, Tracy. You bet. And that's a wrap on a great conversation with Tracy. I hope you enjoyed that. I, you know, there's lots of stuff that we could digest, and I think Shanine and I will probably do that on a uh, on an upcoming episode. Uh, but some interesting takeaways around the way they process checklists, the way they uh, approach signing day with with players, some of the things that go into release day, I thought were pretty fascinating uh, on the manufacturing side and, and, and inside the office at Panini. Um, it puts you kind of in their shoes. And I think it, uh, it gave me a more of appreciation for the process and, 
what a fine hobby that we have. So, yeah, definitely uh, tweet out to Tracy. Let him know how appreciative you were of the, the, the conversation. And uh, we definitely hope to have him back on the, the show soon. Uh, again, check out BreakerCulture.com. A lot of good content rolled out this week. Uh, new checklist updates, new pricing ladders, uh, some new products added to the uh, product pages, and a few new breakers put on there for you to review and check out. So uh, do that. Check out Dub's Coffee, and you have yourself a great week. Talk soon. Wow.